0: Welcome to Let's Talk Trade Season 3, the global supply chain series. In this episode, we move on to another link in the chain, us, the consumers. I'm Jessica Hermosa, Communications Officer at the WTO. We've so far traced the journey of goods and components from the manufacturers to the assembly lines and to the ports and container terminals, hearing all the while that consumer shopping habits during lockdowns disrupted the supply chain. This time, we will hear the consumer's perspective and how our changing shopping behaviors unleashed the supply chain crisis. So, let's talk trade. How exactly has it been for us, the consumers, to experience supply chain disruptions? And what if, in the midst of it all, you had to move countries. Abdel starts us off with his story.
1: Hi, my name is Abdel. I have recently relocated with my family from Geneva to the West Coast in California. Getting uh, a new vehicle in the US was a high priority for us. Most popular models were actually marked up by up to 10000 dollars. Then, uh, as the voltage is also different in the U.S., we've been on a market to get new electrical goods. And again, what we've experienced is that popular models tend to be out of stock. What you have to do is register with your email address and hope that when things get back in stock, you get an email. So my take is that, yeah, it's going to take a while for things to get back to normal. To better
0: understand shopping trends and consumer behavior during the pandemic, I talk to an expert at the management consulting firm, McKinsey.
2: My name is Jessica Moulton. I'm based in London. I'm a senior partner leading our European consumer goods practice, and I'm also one of our partners who's been studying the effects of COVID on consumer behavior. Thank you, Jessica. You're not waiting on a delayed package, I hope? Oh, actually many.
0: Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> so certainly you'll be able to talk us through consumer changes. Can you walk us through how shopping behavior evolved during the various phases of the pandemic, maybe starting with the early days of the lockdowns?
2: Yes, absolutely. So, of course, we first saw a tremendous surge in grocery purchases and a big decline in essentially all other areas. And then as the crisis progressed, a lot of consumers discovered more brands online, and we started to see digital shopping really increase. So there were a number of categories like home goods and especially technology that really started to come back and remained healthy through the rest of the period when we were going through lockdowns and other big changes to our normal out-of-home activities.
0: And as lockdowns lifted and some restrictions eased, what was the picture then? Well, we've continued
2: to have elevated sales in a lot of categories since the lockdowns have eased We've seen the return of apparel sales and footwear sales. So some of those categories are healthier now than they used to be. But we've seen that this elevated level of sales in categories like technology, home goods, DIY, gardening, they've actually still remained elevated. So we still have a lot of people who are spending more in those categories than they did before the crisis. And since consumers have not been able to travel to the degree that they want, they've really taken a lot of that uh, spend and they've invested it in their homes.
0: Another story confirms this home improvement trend. Here's Claudia. Hi,
2: my name is Claudia. I live in Switzerland. Early this year, my husband and I decided that it was high time to get solar panels on our roof. We gathered quotes from different installers, heard warnings about the unpredictability of supply from China, and therefore chose panels made in Germany. And then nothing happened. When I called the installer last week, he told me he was overwhelmed by demand. Many people wanted to switch to autonomous local energy supply and demand for his services had increased by 300 to 400 percent. Some of his colleagues even had to shut down their online shops because they couldn't cope with the spike in demand. Turns out the main bottleneck is not the panels, but the lack of inverters that are installed with the panels to optimize power conversion. We will get the last inverters from this fast-depleting stock, he promised. And by the end of this month, our solar panels will be in place. People who order now, he told me, won't have their panels before 2023. Jessica, can you tell us a little
0: more about e-commerce trends? What did growth look like for that mode of shopping? And in which categories was it more pronounced?
2: So we saw the tremendous increase in online shopping in essentially all categories. And that was clearly because you know consumers didn't have alternatives but also importantly it was because retailers didn't have alternatives so a lot of retailers have been ambivalent about their online sales for a long time because they're generally less profitable you know in categories like apparel the return rate tends to be really high and this makes the economics of online super challenging but during the crisis a lot of retailers really invested to get more serious about online and to start to make the economics work better for them. So we're coming out of the crisis with a lot of retailers actually being a lot happier to sell through online. And that is good news because it's where the consumer wants to be. And do you think this trend will stick? I think when it comes to online spending, we're going to still see some more pullback. So over the last couple of months, we've been seeing you know, online spend in most categories declining by you know, a couple of percentages. But I think most of these changes are here to stay.
0: But what about the trade-off when you get something online and yet delivery is delayed? Do you have any observations how consumers change their behavior?
2: We see that consumers are really noticing these. So a very high percentage of consumers say that they're seeing out of stocks and they're, they're missing their favorite products. There was so much press in a lot of markets about supply chain challenges.
0: Indeed. Here we have another story about long delays in receiving online orders over to asif
1: hi i'm asif from bangladesh during the time of lockdown i decided to produce video content for my facebook page so i ordered a camera and when i paid i came to know that it will take two months to get that camera delivery in my address and the company informed me that they're having trouble of getting delivery from china so in the meantime I used my mobile camera to record, and I waited for almost two months to get that delivery.
0: Turning to the future, let's hear how inflation will affect consumers.
2: So inflation is going to have a very big impact on consumer spend, and we're starting to see that just in the last couple of weeks. You know, Coming out of the crisis, a lot of consumers felt relatively wealthy. It's well known that savings rates are at an all-time high only about a third of consumers in European markets and in North America felt like their household savings had declined as a result of the crisis. So consumers had a lot of disposable income to spend on on consumer goods, especially when they weren't traveling. But inflation is going to change that picture. We have a lot of consumers really noticing price increases in the grocery store they say they are pulling back on some areas of disposable spend, and we expect this will really accelerate. In our surveys of consumers in Europe and the U.S., 50% say that they haven't returned to their previous out-of-home activities. So in other words, they're not going as to, many, to as many restaurants, they're not doing as much travel, they're not leaving the home as much as they did in 2019. And it's still a question mark on whether or not we're going to get back to you know 100% or 90% or 80%. But I think it's increasingly clear that we all developed a lot of patterns of behavior and a lot of hobbies that we liked. You know, we've become more competent cooks. We've developed more home pride. Uh, we have, you know, discovered other activities, you know, in the home that we really enjoy. So gardening sales remain really elevated. Lots of other DIY remains elevated. So there are some permanent shifts and and I think we will we will see that some of the COVID changes are quite long-standing. Thank you, Jessica. That's
0: really insightful. We've heard from our previous speakers about swings in consumption during the pandemic and the surge in e-commerce. To bring us more information, I turn to my colleague here at the WTO. Please introduce yourself.
3: Hi, my name is Emmanuel Gann. I'm a senior analyst in the economic research and statistics division of the WTO, and I work on small businesses and uh, trade digitalization or digital technologies for trade.
0: Welcome, Emmanuel. First question How do supply chains benefit consumers? I mean, in ideal situations when trade flows are smooth and
3: predictable. Global value chains provide companies with access to more competitively priced inputs a higher variety of inputs and economies of scale, And of course, this ultimately benefits consumers. So global value chains allow companies to optimize their supply chains, and through these to reduce costs, which means access to cheaper products for consumers. So global value chains allow consumers to have access to better and more diverse products as companies can source better and cheaper inputs. And turning to digital trade and
0: e-commerce, which, of course, you're very well versed in, can you tell us how much worldwide e-commerce
3: transactions increased during the pandemic? E- e-commerce transactions increased significantly um, as a result of the pandemic uh, because of uh, lockdown measures, the fact that people couldn't go to stores uh, to, uh, to do shopping. So this pushed consumers to, to move online. Total online sales grew uh, by 24% percent in 2020, and then again by about 17 percent in 2021. This jump uh, can be attributed to the rise in, in virtual purchases due to, uh, to global pandemic lockdowns. Many countries have seen drastic growth in e-commerce as a share of total retail sales, with some reporting growth that were two to five times faster than the five-year average before the pandemic. For example, the UK and Spain reported a near fivefold increase in e-commerce sales in 2020. So considerable growth. Uh, in response to lockdown measures and to consumers' migration to digital, Brazil, Spain, and Japan also saw the largest increase in number of businesses selling online. Now, in terms of, of regional shares of uh, global e-commerce sales in, in 2020, Asia-Pacific's, was estimated to account for more than 50%, 51% exactly, followed by North America, Europe, Latin America, and the Middle East, and then Africa with uh,
0: 7%. This boom in e-commerce has accelerated changes and innovations in how supply chains are managed. I talked to someone who knows a lot about supply chain management in emerging economies, especially in the Gulf Cooperation Council, GCC.
1: My name is Sushant Palo Cortijo. I'm the head of Global Partnerships in the office of the Chief Executive Officer of Agility. Um, As for Agility, we're a company operating and investing in supply chain transformation. And perhaps some characteristics about Agility, we're a global company with roots in the GCC. Uh, We consider ourselves specialists in emerging markets. When one looks at our logistics park business, uh, they experience increased demand because the uh, growing number of supply chain disruptions sent companies scrambling for space to store additional inventory uh, or it's, um, governments that were seeking to store larger quantities of PPE or COVID-related medical equipment. There was such a surge in demand for online purchases that, again, more warehousing space was required so so that's an example of a business that really um, had to respond fast and, and had an increase um, in demand for their services.
0: When you talk about the increase in e-commerce and the need for um, more space to house that, I'm wondering if consumers, when they're experiencing supply chain delays for deliveries, did that mean more stocks in the warehouse? Could you elaborate more on that?
1: The e-commerce market in general if you will, went on steroids during the pandemic as more and more consumers faced with restrictions, faced with lockdowns, simply didn't have other choices to make purchases. And um, we heard a lot from our colleagues about um, the different kinds of requests that came and requirements that came from customers to help deal with that changing dynamic in e-commerce So certainly uh, it led to not only requirements for space, but also perhaps new thinking about the way those spaces are managed. And I would say that perhaps it in some ways gave an impetus to the beginning of the warehouse of the future and the warehouse of the future where there's more AI being used uh, in the warehouse configuration to allow for better allocation of space. Uh, And better allocation of of product uh, selection. There are other examples where robots that were previously single-purposed in warehouses are now multi-purpose robots that can um, handle warehouse inventory, replenishment, uh, even cleaning the floors with just one robot.
0: And what does that mean as an end result for consumers?
1: Well, there's two sides, right? When you talk about this uh, e-commerce, boom that came through the, the pandemic as more and more consumers became comfortable with making online purchases it also means that their open-mindedness might possibly also grow to try new technological developments in the e-commerce space so an example would be using uh, voice search to make purchases or using augmented reality glasses in order to see uh, what you're buying or or to almost feel like um, you're in a store uh, making the purchase. But there also might be some degree of the willingness of customers to share more data, more personal data in order to receive more tailored or more personalized products and services that fit their needs.
0: Speaking of products tailored to consumer choices, Rubana Huck of the Mohamedi Group explained during the WTO Global Supply Chain Forum in March how this plays out in the Bangladesh textile industry. Essentially,
1: what has changed is the consumer choices. Consumers have become more choosy. Uh, Consumers have uh, shifted to more or less online and more customized approaches. So right now, we're also having to deal with smaller orders perhaps more in quantity, but, you know, the size of orders have have reduced significantly. So instead of doing 50,000 pieces per style, we're doing 500 to 1,000 to 5,000.
0: Now let's turn back to Emmanuel to hear more about technological innovations businesses
3: are using. So the pandemic has clearly accelerated the use of of advanced technologies and the move to digitalization. I think it has really shown that digitalization is not only a nice to have, but really a a must have. So we see an increasing use of the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence, for example, in logistics to track packages at every stage of the supply chain, to track demand and supply, to optimize routes, or to better allocate space in, in warehouses.
0: Can you tell us more about how Internet of Things or artificial intelligence
3: can be applied in logistics? Yeah, so for example, you could attach um, a sensor, so an IoT sensor, Internet of Things sensor, to a container so that you can track the the conditions in which uh, the, the container is being shipped from one place to another. So the temperature, for example, and this allows also to, so if you use artificial intelligence on top of it, to um, not only react when there's an an issue, and this is particularly important for refrigerated containers um, that will transport fresh food, for example. Uh, So if there's an issue, you can act immediately. In terms of manufacturers, we saw many companies, in particular small ones, uh, moving online because they had no other choice, no other way to, to survive. We also saw banks going digital, to be able to continue to support the flow of goods. So they took their own measures to recognize e-signatures and to accept uh, e-documents so that transactions, trade transactions could continue to to be financed. And what is the WTO's role in all of that? So the WTO's role is is critical uh, because leveraging technologies for trade requires much more than just technological innovation. Uh, It requires international policy cooperation. There's a, a clear need for a more international cooperation, both between governments at a global level, but also between governments and the private sector. We know that the purpose of digitalization is to make processes more efficient, but does it really help to have electronic documents if you still have to enter the same information 10, 20, or even maybe 30 times in different formats? Certainly not. Uh, so this is why we need to standardize the way data are entered and exchanged along the supply chain to really allow data to flow seamlessly across uh, across systems.
0: You can hear more about that in episode three with Nora Neufeld,
3: who explains the WTO trade facilitation agreement. There are also unexplored policies. Digital identity is, uh, for example, an unexplored area or to a large extent unexplored in in trade trade policy circles and, and trade agreements. And digital identities really play a a critical role in digital trade because they ensure that you know with whom you're interacting. So it really fosters trust throughout supply chains. And this is a concept that can be applied to natural and legal persons, but also to physical and uh, digital objects. So when it comes to uh, legal entities and natural persons, for example, supply chain actors need to be able to verify the identity of customers partners, suppliers in real time. So practically, this means they need to answer fundamental questions such as, who are you? Which legal entity are you acting on behalf of? What is that legal entity? Or show me that you're authorized to do X, Y, Z. And uh, how can all these be proven digitally? And when it comes to object, there are currently different supply chain actors that use different systems to identify trade items um, that move through the the supply chain. And here again, alignment is, is critical.
0: And are there discussions going on or negotiations at the WTO on this?
3: Yes, there are discussions in the context of the joint initiative on, on e-commerce um, to address some of these issues and uh, some more than 80 members um, participate in these, uh, in these discussions.
0: One final note, with inflation climbing recently, might this be how demand is curtailed and the global supply chain crisis is solved? Here's Ryan Peterson of Flexport at the Global Supply Chain Forum.
1: Right now, it seems to me that the solution for bringing things back to normalcy, to supply chains flowing more smoothly, port operations returning to normal, the solution that I'm seeing and that is most likely to play out is the destruction of demand. Is is people stopping to buy goods because inflation is so high? Well, that's not really the solution that we're looking for as an industry and as a civilization. I mean, the world runs off of trade it's the it's the circulatory system of the world economy and if we suddenly say oh you know we we're going to stop we're going to slow down the amount of trade in order to make the supply chain run smoother that seems like the wrong approach
3: Yes, indeed, that seems to be the wrong approach. International trade um, is a formidable lever of economic development. Uh, It benefits um, countries across the world, in particular developing countries. So um, the solution is not to stop buying. uh, It's to find a solution to the supply chain bottlenecks by better addressing uh, the uh, supply and uh, the evolution of supply and demand worldwide. Thanks, Emmanuel.
0: So that was our consumer episode in this supply chain series. It's been interesting to have speakers hold up a mirror to our shopping habits and explain how it all feeds into the evolution of trade. In the next episode, we will throw the spotlight on developing countries and micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises who have been bypassed by major trade arteries and have thus been more severely impacted by the supply chain crisis. The larger vessels have moved to Um, Europe, uh, USA and South Africa. Then we we land up with um, smaller vessels which fill up quicker.
1: It's almost as if there is a distinction in cargo between first class cargo, business class cargo and economy cargo. And um, SMEs cannot afford the first or business class cargo. Value addition, of course, is not there. We're still doing basics. We are still exporting around $5 billion worth of just T-shirts.
0: Tune in next time to Let's Talk Trade.